Welcome to episode 44 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Cole Bear, sports correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoop season by Nick Pateros of the WCF Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick at Courier. You can follow me on Twitter at Real Cole Bear. Feel free to direct message or send any comments or questions you might have and know that the podcast is available via thegazette.com, wcfcourier.com. It's on SoundCloud, and it's on your podcast app on your Apple device. If that's where you listen, uh, Nick and I would ask that you rate, subscribe, and review. All right, let's get right into it, Nick. Uh, You and I coming off of a 68-66 loss at Southern Illinois on Wednesday night. Uh, The Salukis are just 10-10 overall, but they're gosh darn good at home. And if I'm not mistaken, they're unbeaten at home, right? Or they have uh, one they have loss? One, loss. They have one home loss, and then they have not won a game on the road, a, a true road game. Okay, so they have the one home loss, and you look at that game Wednesday night, and they are, by all means, a team to be reckoned with at home. You just kind of watch how they go about their business. They are a quality squad. Uh, with that loss, you and I, uh, now 16-3 and overall, 5-2 and in the Missouri Valley. That puts them in second place behind Loyola. Uh, the Ramblers are coming to McLeod Center this Sunday afternoon. It's a game that will be on ESPNU at 3 o'clock. Nick and I will talk about that coming up later on the podcast. First, we want to look back at this UNI loss to Southern Illinois. As I said, 68-66 the final. A.J. Green uh, on the final play of the game, Nick. He gets a baseline mid-range jumper, and the ball just rims out. So I don't think the Panthers can be too upset about the fact that they got a, a at least a decent look. Uh, if not a look that maybe I think is a little bit better considering A.J. Green is the one shooting it. It just didn't go in. Uh, turnover issues popped up again. What's front of mind for you thinking back on you and I's loss against well, the Salukis? I'm thinking about that final play. Uh, I was talking to A.J. after the game, and he said that play, uh, what Southern Illinois was doing to A.J. throughout a lot of that game was they were doubling him on screens and doubling late in the shot clock. So I think you and I was fully expecting that A.J. Green was going to get double teamed on that last possession. And I went back and, and I read uh, Brian Mullen's comments after that game as well. And what they decided was they were going to double Green if he was out on the perimeter. But once he gravitated towards the baseline, that's almost like you have an extra defender on one end anyway. Sure. So they were confident. They felt more comfortable, single covered there. And then they had help if he was going to drive inside. That's why he had to pull up. But anyway, the, the play was uh, kind of a flare screen design for Trey Burhow anticipating a double team. And then Trey would have an open shot out of that. Uh, but the double never came, and, you know, A.J. had room on that baseline to make something happen, pulled up, took a shot. I'd say that's probably a 50% shot Shot A.J. makes half the time. Yeah. Uh, the way that game was going, though, I wonder if you wanted to get Austin Fife involved in maybe a pick-and-roll action on the last play. He was 8 of 10 from the field. He's a guy that's a really efficient scorer inside. He had a good matchup with Benson there. Yeah, where, what do, you, if, where do you think he can he can catch the ball on that side out? Well, you, you don't. You run a pick and roll with AJ, so you, okay. you have I see him. What you're you have him set the screen on AJ, uh, set the screen for AJ, top of the key, and roll, then to the roll him to the hoop. If they move towards AJ, then you have AJ dish to Fife because mm-hmm. uh, there was obviously plenty of time. Because if AJ can get to the basket, you know he's going to either score a layup with his size being taller than most of the other guards that are defending him, or he's going to the free throw line. Yeah. That's usually two points in the game. You, you dish to Fife, he puts it in. So I, I just wonder if maybe they should have had Fife involved in that in that last play. 
if there's a, I mean, there's eight seconds left. There's enough time. Yeah, there was. And that's the thing about a situation like that is when you have eight seconds, that certainly opens up a lot of different and options. And you only needed two points. That, that's the thing is if you only need two points, why not try to work in the high percentage big guy yeah. uh, in, into the into And the if I'm Ben play. Jacobson, uh, I'm okay with drawing up a play that's designed to take the game into overtime. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we sit again, Nick, and we're talking about 10 first-half turnovers by these UNI Panthers. We were doing the same thing a week ago on the podcast, uh, 16 turnovers in that loss to Southern Illinois. So obviously they cleaned it up a little bit in the second half. But A.J. Green, your primary ball handler, he has six turnovers in that game. And something I found out today that I understand you had found out uh, a little before me is that A.J. Green was not playing at 100% uh, in the latter half of that loss to SIU. Yeah, Ben Jacobson said after that game that he was uh, poked in the eye in the first half, and he went over to the bench and complained about uh, having some blurry vision there. And uh, Jake said that uh, A.J.'s vision never really got much better uh, as the game progressed. But in that first half in particular, he was really having a tough time seeing out of his left eye, and he thought that played into some of those turnovers. The other thing that I think played into those turnovers was how uh, Southern Illinois was defending Green, as I had mentioned previously, uh, running those double teams at him. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the other thing that I don't uh, know why it hasn't been cleaned up yet within this UNI offense is these high-low entry passes. It seems like there's an awful lot of turnovers uh, when it's a guard trying to work it into Fife or or if it's a, one of the centers trying to, to work it into a cutter down low. It seems like we're seeing a, a lot of turnovers there. Yeah, and, you know, I asked Ben Jacobson today. It was actually kind of built off of what I had brought up on last week's podcast where I had mentioned how it seems like the windows are pretty small when it comes to passing and like those post entries that you mentioned right there and that the time frame to make those passes are maybe a little smaller than they are in other offenses. And Ben Jacobson essentially acknowledged that. He said, you know, when the rhythm is right in this offense and the right passes are being made, it's very rewarding. And that's what I like about it. But he said, you know, when the rhythm gets off a little bit, we heard Austin Fife talk about that after the comeback win against Valpo, that in the first half, part of their struggles were because they were playing a little too fast, a little too accelerated, and that led to the turnovers. So Ben Jacobson is, you know, he acknowledged that there is more risk-reward, essentially, to this offense than other offenses, and I think that's that's probably got to be what? The biggest storyline right now with this team? Obviously, A.J. Green is stealing a lot of the headlines, rightfully mm-hmm. so. But when I think you look through, you look at this team um, in the sense of, okay, it's a good team. What are the things that they need to work on? I think that sticks out more than anything, that there's kind of this fine line in this offense between it being either really good or average to slightly below average. Yeah, I, th- I think it's 1A and 1B. The, the turnovers are, are what's gotten them when they've struggled, but then the, the defense is right up there. Uh, what they're yeah. doing uh, defending the ball is not where this program has been typically uh, defensively, and uh, they need to get they need to get that straightened out. Uh, you, you, to, to take a step back even to the win over Bradley on Saturday night, uh, that was a game where Donya Kingsby, Donya Kingsby, uh, the guard from Bradley, who AJ Green was guarding, he just went off, and it was plays off the dribble. He scored 28 points, and he was just beating Green off the dribble uh, to, to start that game. And then you get to the Southern Illinois game, and again they were attacking Green off yep. the dribble. So I think whoever Green is guarding is going to start attacking him off the dribble. Yep. But it wasn't just Green that was getting beat against Southern Illinois. I saw a play where Isaiah Brown was getting beat, you and I's best defender. Uh, you and I's bigs were getting beat off the dribble. So they weren't stopping dribble penetration very well at all. And then that leads to 
um, more players having to be dedicated towards stopping that. The rotations are getting slower, and then they're giving up a lot of three-pointers. But I, I really think this team defensively is, is not where uh, Ben Jacobson is, is used to them being at this point in the season. I think you make a great point bringing up how well Kingsby played with A.J. guarding him in that Bradley game because I noticed that too. It's just something that kind of went backwards in my brain, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked to enough people now uh, about A.J. that, and some of those people being ones that have seen more of his high school career than his college career, and so they have kind of seen everything that at the high school level that teams did to try to slow A.J. Green down, and those things have steadily, uh, not, maybe not as quickly, but they've steadily started to make their way uh, into opponents that have played you and I this year, and I think this is the next chapter in that, where coaches are doing what they can to put the guy who A.J. Green is guarding in a position to score. And, you know, I I don't have it in front of me, but I have to imagine A.J. Green's plus-minus in that Bradley game um, was not near as good as it should have been. Um, and so going forward, it's, th- that's by all means something to watch, too. I, I think, you know, what the guy that A.J. Green is guarding ends up doing, and then also the rhythm of the offense and the ball security in the offense, those kind of seem like 1A, 1B. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the defense, it's a team thing uh, with you and I. It always has yeah. been. They, they, they need to get their rotations quicker, uh, anticipate action. That's something that yeah. they've talked about throughout this entire season. And I think it's important for me to, to say, you know, off of that, that I'm not pinning all of it on A.J. I have to imagine no, there's some help had, side defense that should have been he's there. Had, he's had stretches of good defense this season as well. It's just you notice when he gets beat. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um all right, let's uh, move it along here. Uh, a couple topics we're going to discuss before we get into this UNI Loyola game. Uh, the return of Luke McDonald. How about that? Um, I, I don't think either of us would have predicted that at all, even if given maybe some like five to one or six to one odds. I'm not sure we would have taken the bet that Luke McDonald would have got some action in this game, uh, Nick. But he gets put into a spot that I think, quite frankly, is is a tough one. But He's a senior, so Ben Jacobson has a particular level of trust with McDonald. Um, it was just really interesting to see that all play out. What did you think about it? Yeah, I, I talked to Coach Jacobson after the game, and he mentioned that uh, at that point in the game, he didn't like the decision-making they were making on offense, and he didn't like the pace. As you mentioned, the pace uh, was was a concern within that offense, and Luke's uh, two strengths are decision-making and pace and getting that thing running well, so that's why they, they put him into that game. Uh, that being said, uh, you look at his numbers from the game, and uh, you have three turnovers, one assist, four rebounds. I don't, I don't know if you you got much out of him. The, the The offense was flowing well for the stretch that he was in there, though, and and they were able to come back with Trey Burhouse shooting absolutely lights out. He scored uh, 15 points in that first half, and that was the only reason they were only down two at intermission was because of. Uh, Trey Burhow and what he was bringing to the table. There. Yeah, 22 points from Trey Burhow in that game. He looked really good. But, yeah, when it comes to Luke, the flow was better when he was in there, but the ball security did not improve at all. As you said, three turnovers for Luke uh, in nine minutes uh, that he played. So, um, once again, here we are kind of talking about this backup five position. Mm-hmm. I, I assume that this is going to continue to evolve. Yeah, I don't know if we see Luke again or, or not, uh, what what that all entails. I, I think it all depends on how Justin Dahl's looking in practice, where James Betts fits into the picture, and, and what the other team has for a, for a reserve five or a five that's on the court at that period of time. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest uh, trigger on this is whenever Austin Fife picks up his second foul, where yeah. you and I is in, in the game at that point. 
How about the two-guard spot? Spencer Haldeman, who we know uh, had that bum ankle going back a couple weeks. Um, his first two games back, he comes off the bench, and he was good. And then he gets in that starting lineup on Wednesday night uh, against Southern Illinois, Nick, and only three points for Haldeman. And that's not necessarily the big deal to me because he brings quite a bit on the defensive end and what he's able to do to just be a steadying presence uh, for this team. But he only shot the ball three times. Usually Spencer finds a way to get six seven shots up um, and kind of, you know, keep the defense honest at the very least uh, when it comes to you and I's outside shooting. Uh, and then Taiwan Pickford, he was a little under the weather on Wednesday night, and so he's limited with only two minutes, uh, you know, just coming off the bench, playing a little bit and sitting back down. Didn't practice Monday or Tuesday. Um, then again, Antoine Kimmins comes in. He makes a three. He only plays three minutes, you know, doesn't get another opportunity in the second half. At times, Nick, and I think I remember bringing this up to you maybe midway through the non-conference portion of the season, it seems like maybe just one extra two-guard on this team. Um, I'm not saying it'd be somebody who would, you know, make or break a season, but at times it seems like maybe the perfect fit isn't there. And I'm not taking anything away from Antoine Kimmins. He brings quite a bit defensively. He can be a spark plug offensively as well. But, you know, maybe a, in a perfect world, there's a junior two guard that can come off the bench and handle a little bit and knock down some shots. Uh, it's just a little bit of a interesting situation to me right now at that two guard spot. See, I, yeah, I don't know. I think they saw plenty of depth there because of how you can interchange Isaiah and AJ in the point roles as well. You know, you can have Spencer handle the ball. And then you've got Noah Carter, who is has a, a decent enough shooting skill sets. He's more of a three. But if you have Carter play the three, you could still have Isaiah and AJ in the backcourt at that time or uh, Isaiah and Antoine or or any combination of those three guys. So I still think you have enough pieces in this backcourt that it's not that big of an issue. I, I just don't know why Haldeman wasn't uh, able to find more shots within the the flow of the offense during the game Yeah, you, uh, with the number of minutes he played. That was a bigger concern. And, and the one shot he did was it was just like a, a late three-pointer that was from like a ridiculous 32-foot yeah. range or something. Late shot clock, yeah. logo, three-pointer. That, that was a huge you know? shot in their, in their comeback it to was. get back into that thing. That and, the, and the, the step back that A.J. hit late with about nine seconds left that also uh, you know gave him that chance on the final possession. And I know, uh, I obviously know that Isaiah Brown, his his perimeter shooting has improved this year, but it's still, it's still a little streaky. Yeah, you know, he, was, so, he was off, and that, that hurt him. Yeah, so like I said, and Antoine Kimmins hasn't settled into the point yet where we know exactly what percentage-level three-point shooter he will end up being. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a great one, but no. he, could be, he could be, you know, maybe like an Isaiah Brown where he 33, gets 33, 34, yeah, 35 yeah. maybe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just one more 37, 38%, you know, sure-handed, uh, steady upperclassman to guard, I think is – Maybe something that in a perfect world this team would have. So, obviously, at this point, it's up to the great minds on the staff, you know, Ben Jacobson and everybody else, uh, to kind of, you know, optimize what they're doing there at the two. And more than anything, I think what kind of quiets this particular conversation down is Spencer Haldeman uh, maybe getting back in completely to his groove that he was in at one point earlier this season, certainly, you know, midway and through the end of last season where he was an aggressive attacker, you know, he was shooting uh, at a couple different levels, even get to the rim a little bit earlier this season as well. So um, it's probably too small of a sample size at this point after the injury for Haldeman. Um, this is maybe something that we kind of put a bookmark in it and we come back to it three weeks from now. 
Yeah, and the, well, the other thing is Trey Burhau was going really well in that that Wednesday game, and that's the one that actually surprised me more than Haldeman. I was concerned in the second half, to start the second half, they didn't get Burhau hardly any shots, and the way he played the first half, I thought they needed to get him going more to start that second half. All right, let's look at this next game coming up on Sunday, as I mentioned at the top of the pod. Uh, it's a 3 p.m. tip at McLeod Center. It's on ESPNU, so another national TV game for the Panthers. Um, Loyola comes into this game first place in the Valley, 14-6 and six overall, 6-1 and one, uh, in conference play, and they've got a potential player of the year candidate. Uh, they have a player of the year candidate on their team, Nick, and Cameron Crutwig. He's at 15 points, 8 rebounds, and 4.5 and assists per game. Those are some Seth Tuttle numbers, to be quite honest with you. And then they're a sit-out transfer from last year, Tate Hall. He's right behind Crutwig at 14 points per game. Um, I'm I'm eager to uh, be able to watch him in person play and, and see what he brings to this Loyola team. And then they've got a, a guy that's like an Isaiah Brown and Lucas Williamson, a really tremendous two-way player that can, you know, one night he'll score six points and make a big impact on the game defensively. In uh, another night, he's scoring 16 points and, and bringing it on both ends of the floor. So it, no shortage of talent on this Loyola team. Uh, what are kind of your initial thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, one of the, the uh, Missouri Valley Conference beat writers, uh, Todd Golden there with uh, Indiana State, kind of compared uh, Crutwig to the Nikola Jokic of the MVC. Nice. Uh, a, a skilled big man that, that can really pass it. I was talking with Porter Mosher for a preview that ran in today's paper on, on the game, and uh, he, he mentioned uh, Crutwig. Uh, they, they started using him as more of a point center uh, just by necessity. Uh, they had their uh, point guard, Keith Clemens, out to start the season. So they, you know, were stuck with a freshman at point to, to start the year. So they put a lot on uh, Crutwig's plate, just knowing that they could run things through him. And they've been using him quite a bit with that offense and, and kind of a, a decision-making role, even going back to his uh, freshman year on their Final Four team. And uh, so he's he's really become a, a complete player. He was just uh, an assist away from a triple double in their ga- in their win uh, over Indiana State on Wednesday. So he's he's uh, tremendous. And I think that matchup with Crutwig and Fife is going to be a really really good one because you and I essentially uses Fife in a similar capacity where yeah. he's getting the ball out in the high post and making decisions and and they're having him be skilled. And, uh, you know, I think both teams are going to probably single cover the other center because of what they have around those centers. They have some shooters around them. Yep. So I think it, it really is going to be an interesting matchup to see those two bigs go at it and see. Uh, uh, I know Porter Mosher said uh, he thinks uh, Austin Fife is one of the most improved players in the MVC with what he's doing this year. And uh, mentioned Fife as kind of part of of what is really, you know, becoming a, a pretty good group of bigs within the league now. It's yeah. typically a, a guard-driven league, but this is going to be, uh, I think, a pretty good battle of big men uh, here on, on Sunday. Four straight wins for Loyola entering Sunday's game. Their most recent, a 75-55 win against Indiana State. Uh, the Ramblers are averaging just a shade under 70 points per game, and they have a Valley-best uh, defensive points allowed mark. Uh, opponents only scoring 60.2 points per game. And, and Nick, for me, when I see that, it makes me think of SIU and how stingy they are defensively. And it seems like right now, you and I lacks a little bit of an edge in games where the position, the possessions shrink a little bit. And that kind of mono mono uh, defensive matchups um, carry a little bit more weight than they do on the offensive end of the floor, which we've seen... Uh, obviously, you and I win a lot of those matchups so far this season. 
Um, so, you know, do you think that UNI comes into this game with their, you know, quite a bit of work cut out for them because of the blueprint of, of Loyola, of how they've been successful this year, being the best defense in the Valley? I think it'll be a, a kind of a one-possession battle. You, you, even beyond uh, what, what uh, Loyola is averaging on the season, when you look at the seven Valley games, that's a pretty good sample size. They're only averaging, uh, opponents are only scoring uh, 54.7 points against them in league play. Uh, so the, the, you, you, the, the thing is, the UNI's uh, efficiency shooting the ball is a lot better than I think most of Loyola's opponents to date in league play. Yeah. So if you and I can continue to make shots, they're going to be able to stay with them. I don't have any concerns on that. Uh, it, I think it's going to be one of those kind of one possession close battles, uh, a lot of lengthy possessions. And it'll be like last year. Last year, uh, both games were decided by one point with Loyola winning. So I think it's going to be uh, one of those where it's going to come down to maybe the, the final couple minutes. And besides Crutwig and Fife, the next matchup I think to keep a close eye on is Lucas Williamson, who will more than likely guard A.J. Green, and he, like I said earlier, he's like an Isaiah Brown. He's pretty long, 6'5", 6'6", long arms. Um, he, he's probably going to frustrate A.J. Green, I would imagine, at a few points uh, in that game. He only played in one of the two games last season because he, he had an injury, but he scored 12 points in that one game where uh, the Ramblers came to McLeod and won 56-55. He only shot the ball six times, so uh, he's that type of guy where I think you, if he's on your team, you really like having him uh, alongside you, and I, in this matchup, it just comes down to how loose can Williamson make AJ Green with the ball? Can can he force some turnovers on AJ Green? Because you know, kind of when you get it's kind, it seems to me um, that if you set the over under at about three and a half AJ Green turnovers, when it gets over three and a half, that's when things start getting pretty dicey for the Panthers and their chances to win a game. Yeah, and I I think they can still endure some some turnovers from Green. It it just comes down to uh, how many times he can get to the free throw line as well. Uh, there's a pretty big free throw discrepancy in that game against Southern Illinois, and he wasn't able to get there that often. I think he only attempted two free throw shots, and you and I only attempted four free throws in that game. So when you get uh, outshot four to twenty three at the free throw line, you're gonna have a tough time winning. Yeah, and, and teams that can guard this U and I team and not foul them. Mm-hmm. Um, by all, I mean, and that seems and pretty what, simple when Loy- you say it. But. Loyola emphasizes that. I mean, they yep. actually make a point on uh, being able to defend without fouling, and uh, they're usually pretty elite on uh, at doing that. So it's it's going to be tough for you and I's offense. I, I think this will be their their toughest challenge, maybe since the uh, West Virginia game. Any final thoughts before we wrap up episode forty four, Nick? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy looking back. It's been about a decade. Uh, that 29-10 team was the last team that has won the Missouri Valley Conference for you and I. Uh, they've gone that long without winning a league title, and I, I think this game Sunday is going to go a long ways towards deciding the league championship here this year because if you lose that game Sunday, all of a sudden Loyola has a little bit of separation, and you're going to have to play awfully well on the back half of, of conference play to, to get back into the mix there. So uh, definitely a key game for you and I there Sunday. No doubt about it. And just to kind of uh, go way back to the front of the podcast with a final thought for me, something I wanted to ask you, I think Southern Illinois could be a arch madness sleeper. If they find a way to create a little bit more offense for themselves consistently, they're the type of stingy team, I think, Nick, that I've seen uh, You know, go to St. Louis and win a couple games. I'm not saying they win at all. But I'm saying they could really shake things up. And, I mean, do you think they're a sleeper at all? No, you... I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. No? I think, I think they're closer to Thursday than they are to contending. Okay. All right. We'll I think, bookmark I think that. we can watch Southern Illinois play on Thursday. 
and then they'll play somebody after they win their Thursday game, and they'll and they'll, they'll lose their exit. Yep. Okay, I'm marking the tape. I've got I've got Southern Illinois down for a Friday win at Arch Madness. I, I've got them down for having to win to get to Friday, and I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know what qualifies as a sleeper. Does one Friday win qualify you for earning you've achieved it, it sleeper depends who status? You, if you beat the one seed on Friday, sure. If you beat the two seed, maybe. Uh, yeah, you know, if you beat the one or the two seed, sure, I guess, yeah, you're, you're probably a They're sleeper. They're not going to be that low of a seed. Take it easy on the Salukis. They're not going to be that low of a seed. I don't know. Thanks for listening to episode 44 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. Remember, you can direct message questions or comments to my Twitter at RealColeBear. Stay up to date of my coverage of UNI Hoops football and more at thegazette.com. And check out Nick's coverage of UNI men's basketball and much more at WCFCourier.com. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.